Alright everyone, welcome to That Niku Mum, a podcast where we share the stories of New Zealand parents who have had a baby in a neonatal unit across the country. Happy 2024, we are in a new year. Um, I'm actually recording this at the end of November 2023, so I have no idea what the new year is like so far, but when this episode goes live, it's January the 6th, so yeah, I hope 2024 is going well, I hope you had an amazing Christmas and New Year, um, and let's hope for fewer neonatal stays this year for everyone. <laughs> we all know it's not the greatest place to be, but anyway, um, if you don't know me, my name is Shan. I am a mum to three boys, my ex, 32-weeker twins, Bowen Luca, and my full-term singleton, Angus. Uh, the twins are three and a half, they're going to be four in March, and Angus is um, coming up 18 months um so I've been through both both ends of it I've been through NICU with prem babes and I've been through having a term babe which is extremely overwhelming when all you know is prematurity and NICU but anyway um if you want to listen to my own stories uh we have my introduction episode the very first episode of the podcast is my story there's a bonus episode in there which is like my um mine and my husband's story from my husband's point of view uh and then a few weeks ago for well I guess a couple months ago now for world prematurity day I did a kind of a little a little recap on our journey then as well so yeah um also on my instagram at that niku mom lots and lots of wee little snippets from from me and from my time in the NICU plus how my dudes are all doing now so yeah if you are wanting to catch up feel feel free we have this is episode 37 so we've been going quite well um we are down to one episode a week for the remainder of January and then when we're back in to February it'll be back to two episodes a week I'm hoping uh We've got a few, I've, well, I've got a few submissions to get through from when I opened submissions at the end of 2023. Um, so I will be in contact with you at some point to book in a time and record your story. And yeah, I think that's all I have to say, really. So today we are speaking with Sophie, whose son Freddie was born in 2021 at 32 weeks after Sophie had a partial placental abruption so she had some on and off bleeding after that and ended up being admitted antenatally for about five weeks um and then at 32 weeks on the dot Freddie was born after she had PPROM PAPROM do you call it PAPROM <laughs> which is prom I don't know PPROM preterm premature rupture of membranes um so she ended up with an emergency C-section, obviously, um, I'm assuming due to the abruption that she'd previously had. So yeah, I'll let her talk about how uh, her time in the hospital was and how Freddie's birth was and, and the postnatal period and how that's kind of affected them going forward. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. Yep, so I'm Sophie, 
and my husband is Stu and we have got little Freddie who's nearly two and we have got a couple of cats too and a few sheep and dogs and cows and stuff on our farm so yeah that's us that's our family we're all part of um, yeah <laughs> um so when you found out that you were pregnant with Freddie how did that how did that all go like was your pregnancy pretty straightforward um yeah it was to begin with like um it, we were really lucky like it did but yeah it was we were really lucky like it didn't take us too long to get pregnant um and then I was fine didn't have any sickness had no problem really at all like I went skiing which is probably a bit of a stupid thing in hindsight but didn't think anything of it at the time yeah. and yeah I just sailed along just there was no no questions even right up until our anatomy scan there was kind of no there was no flags raised or anything like that so mm -hmm. yeah yeah so you ended up having a partial placental abruption yeah yeah how did that, that happen how did that uh, diagnosed it was 27 weeks and uh, I just woke up one morning like five o'clock in the morning and it was the start of uh, November and I kind of had that feeling where like every female probably knows this feeling where you kind of all of a sudden get your period and you're yeah. like oh feels a little bit like wet down there so I got up went to the toilet like put my hand down there went to the toilet turned the toilet light on and then looked down at my hand and my hand was just bright red and I'd put bread like blood all over the wall and then I just looked down and my pajama shorts like everything was just covered in blood and it just kept coming now my husband had been at a well I'd gone with him sober driving him to a craft beer mm. festival the night before so me screaming stew to his probably a little bit sore head at five o'clock in the morning was a bit of a surprise to him but he kind of came out like gathered himself so quick and phoned 111 um yeah. And then she just told me to lie down on the couch, definitely get off the um, the toilet. And then, yeah, lie down on the couch. And she was speaking to us on the phone for ages. She was asking me what the weather was doing. And I kind of was wondering why on earth she was asking me what the weather was doing when I was just more concerned about why mm. I was bleeding so much. Mm. But it turns out she was asking me what the weather was doing because she wanted to make sure the helicopters could land outside our house. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, and then all of, all of a sudden, my husband just opened the front door and you could just hear the rescue helicopter because we're lucky on the farm. We had a paddock right opposite the, ha opposite the house where they could land. And, yeah, they came in and took me away to Dunedin. Couldn't tell you how long it took in the chopper or anything. I remember it being a blue sky day and looking out the window thinking, this is not a bad flight considering what's, go what's going on. Considering the circumstances. Um, yeah, and, and then Stu obviously couldn't go with me in the helicopter, so he drove through, and it's about an hour and a half drive through to town, so I kind of felt more sorry for him because he just had to drive, you know, not knowing what was going to happen. And then I got there, and then they said, yeah, I was just um, hemorrhaging. They didn't know at that time that it was my placenta until I went for a scan. Mm -hmm. um, I had to stay in the delivery suite for quite a while before they were confident that, I could go down for a scan to see. Um, yeah, and it just turned out that basically my placenta was kind of partially abrupting and hemorrhaging. Um, 
and then I just wasn't allowed to go back to Lawrence which is where we live because it's an hour and 20-25 minutes away from Dunedin so it was unsafe for me to be back there because if I did fully abrupt then I think you have like half an hour pretty much to get into surgery um, for a c-section so yeah that was me on the antenatal ward and then I would get discharged for a little bit for a couple of days two or three days once the bleeding had stopped and then I'd be back at my sister-in-law's in Dunedin luckily we were really lucky Jess and Will they lived there yeah. Um, then I'd bleed again and then off and be back into the hospital. So God, how exhausting. Yeah. yeah, it was it was exhausting. Um antenatal wards are probably interesting at the best of times. Yeah. But I was really lucky, like there was another couple of girls on there with me that started right from when I was in there too. And um a girl called Jamie and we ended up in beds opposite each other and we were both in there for like three weeks together. Yeah. So, and then she went first and then about, I think it was about eight days later, I followed her down into NICU. So it was <laughs> like, it was a weird, it's, kind of, it's a really weird, yeah. It's kind of like, I, I remember I had obviously bad experiences in there, but there's, there's so many positive experiences there too. I mean, the midwives were lovely all the time and you just kind of got into a rhythm of getting your breakfast first from the hospital and then yeah you just kind of got into your own routine I guess it was a weird thing weird time (laughs) had they um talked to you about what happened if you did have a full abruption like were they reassuring or did they give you like worst case scenario yeah on the day that we when I first bled um they I remember we were in the this delivery suite and um they kept having to it was they were measuring the amount of blood that I was losing by pads so every pad that would basically I was filling up pads quite a lot so that was what they were having to monitor as well if I went for a c-section but then I remember them saying um this is Helen from NICU she's one of the doctors and um the baby the baby doctors and she just starts to talk to me about what like the outcomes were for a baby that was born at 27 weeks and what routes they go down. And I just remember laying on the bed and just taking the white sheet and just pulling it over my head and just completely breaking down because I just was thinking, you know, 12 hours ago I was asleep in bed yeah. at my own home. How on earth is this, you know, and I could and I could feel Freddie kicking, you know, when I went to sleep. And, and luckily I did feel him kicking at home when I was bleeding when I was laid on the couch and that was so reassuring when I felt him kick I was like okay no he's still in there yeah. you know he's still there's still movement but no I mean they they did make it sound like it would still be positive but you know there was still stuff that they could do even if he was born obviously at 27 weeks and now looking back on it the health system really is way more advanced than I would ever have known for mm. premature babies yeah. that I would ever ever anticipated um and I did get given the steroid injections as soon as I went in there as well for his lungs so yeah at least I managed to get that on board for a few weeks before he was actually born so yeah. that definitely makes all the difference mm. and then he was born at 
32 weeks. So were you still bleeding by the time? Yeah, I was bleeding intermittently. And then at 31 weeks, I was discharged again. That was like the third time that I was discharged. Um, and then I was only out for a day and a half, I think it was. And then I woke up that night and I felt something again. And then I went to the toilet and then, yeah, my waters had broken. It was all, was you know, the mucus. It on top. It was, yeah, it was just all the mucus. And yeah, I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was all, you know, the, like, it was like pinky. And I was just, for my midwife, and I said, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but um, I've just got loads of pink kind of mucusy stuff going on. And she's like, yeah, that sounds like your, your membrane. So get yourself to hospital. So yeah, went in <laughs> there. Great. I love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, great. I love going and every time it always every time or everything always happened at night oh, it was just it never night. ever happened never happened during the day like both it's always, both, night. Or, it's always honestly, my poor sister and brother-in-law I felt so like they just my sister and brother-in-law they they hadn't um they weren't they actually now have a baby girl that's four months old but she wasn't pregnant at the time either but I was thinking oh my gosh this is just the experience they have a child but for her she was just driving she'd drive me through into the hospital in the middle of the night sit there in the middle of the night till Stu got because then Stu would get woken up in the middle of the night drive through to town so um but yeah so I did and then I think then they did they measured my cervix and um I think it was like three centimeters maybe dilated or something then um and they gave me another uh, round of steroids then too and also kind of those uh it's like antibiotics you know mm. to stop the infection once your membranes um had ruptured just to see how far I would get so yes then he came at 32 weeks I went into early labor it was probably the Saturday morning before on I was like 32 31 day before 32 I was like 36 and six or something yeah like that and I just I could feel the contract I had tightening a lot whilst I was in um on the antenatal ward so I kept, I was always being hooked up to the CTG but they said like you know it's just my because my uterus was so irritated yeah it was just kind of contracting a lot because of the blood Mm -hmm. um and then all of a sudden I was like now this feels a little bit different than just the regular tightening that I was going through um but I was in kind of active labor for that was uh, Saturday morning right up until yeah the Sunday night was when he was born and I only dilated like another I think it was four another four centimeters I got to about seven centimeters um and then it was a no-go because it was almost like the contractions were just making my bleeding just every time a contraction came I could just feel this gush mm. of blood um that would come and also then he was um um getting quite tachycardic is it yeah. tachycardic yeah um as well so then they just pulled the pin and made the decision to take me up for a C-section, I did actually go on uh, ox, what's it called? When they induce you. Yeah, ox. Yeah, is it oxytocin? I think so. Yeah, they put me on that. My midwife was not very happy that they put me on that because 
she said that if I'm bleeding and, and Freddie was under stress, that actually that was not the correct route to go down. But I did actually get taken off that quite quick. So, yeah, when so you had gone in for like the initial bleeding, had they talked about the probability of a C-section? With yeah, their- like they they that on that day again, like that everything just seemed to happen on that one day. They made me sign, not made me sign, obviously came mm-hmm. through and taught me through the option of signing all these forms for to sign for a c-section yeah you have to sign to obviously acknowledge the risks and um I remember even that day the anaesthetist came and I had to sign all the forms yeah for the anaesthetist to do as well so um yeah they talked about it right from the right from the start pretty much I mean obviously when I was in labor they did they would try they were trying their best I think to try and see if obviously it could go the other way but um we just got everyone safe but yeah Yeah. I remember even you were like prepared in the back of your mind for having a c-section yeah I mean I was prepared knowing that I would maybe end up having to have a c-section I had no idea I mean I've had relatives my own sisters had a c-section before Mm. but obviously I think unless you've probably gone through it you don't anticipate what it actually entails kind of Mm the Jesus cross and when you're laid on laid on that table I don't yeah some memories will never never leave me I just remember feeling like Jesus on a cross on that table in there and just thinking and I was remember I was on the gas and air before I went even up there and then I assumed that they could just take the gas and air with me in the elevator because I was at that point having really really strong contractions and then they were like no no you can't take it with you and I remember sitting on the table in the surgery and they're talking about shoving this needle in my back and I'm like I don't care what you do but I'm in the middle of a contraction so just do something to me yeah yeah. everything just going really yeah weird after that pretty much how was the birth and obviously the circumstances weren't great but how was his birth yeah it was it was like it was a really calm environment even before we went up there because we'd made the decision that we were going to go up there and it was a really calm it wasn't we weren't rushed to yeah. go up there it was just kind of made the deci- decision that you know before this gets any further we'll go for a c-section mm-hmm. and then I got um put on not the back burner because that sounds bad there was another there was an emergency there was another emergency then c-section before me so then we waited around for a little bit longer so then it was kind of more could sink in a little bit more and obviously my parents were over in England so Stu just phoned my parents and told them you know what was happening it was way calmer and then even in the surgery room the nurse one of the nurses that was kind of overseeing it and was kind of stood with me she was from about 25 minutes away from me when I lived in England like where I was from so it was a really weird and I just remember talking to her the whole time and then I don't even remember, but Stu, when there's pictures of him, when when they lift him up, when they lift him up kind of above the, whatever the little curtain is to show us. But Stu must have been stroking my hair, I think, the whole time and just was like, it just, it was, it was really, really calm. He screamed. I remember there was a, such a loud scream. And I just remember thinking, oh, thank God. As soon as I heard the scream, I was like, oh, like big, big cry. And I thought, oh, thank God, that hopefully that means like, he's got strong lungs if he's managing yeah. to cry like that then hopefully that means but they did they 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 obviously they took him over to 
um the table to begin with i guess was to the, the to the incubator side whatever to the side to me mm-hmm. um and then they did but they did manage to bring him over to me before he then went um down into Niku. but i just i didn't really think about him going because i knew that Stu was going to be with him Stu went down there obviously with him straight away and was with him there for hours so yeah um and then I just remember afterwards just feeling like my midwife was like milking me like a cow because she was trying to get the colostrum (laughs) colostrum out of me and I just remember feeling like I was like not on this planet I was on the phone to my mum and I don't really know what I was saying to my mum and I just remember midwife sat there I couldn't stop shaking which I did have no idea happened she said it's totally normal you're not far enough along that you've got to like the colostrum stage and the manual (laughs) no no, she's just there and I was like I don't know what she's like this syringe is trying to get the stuff out of me I was like I don't know what is going on here and I just couldn't I just remember the shaking and I just remember apologize for shaking so much because I and I just didn't really know why and she said it's just because of um is it because of the anesthetic and stuff I guess or something like that and like almost like not like the come down but something like that yeah. must wear start to wear off so yeah I just remember constantly apologizing for shaking so much I got that during labor like the shake oh. yeah oh no <laughs> but like thank god I'd already had the epidural because I was like imagine trying to put that massive ass needle in my back when I'm like <laughs> yeah and you're just shaking yeah I know I've never experienced anything like it it was crazy must be like adrenaline I think it must be like an adrenaline thing I think so and just like panic like you're just about to have a a freaking baby like yeah yeah just like probably just like what's just happened (laughs) when did you get to go down to Niku and meet him um I got taken back up to the maternity ward I think he was born at he was born at 10 30 and I felt like it was not long after that at all I generally felt like it was only an hour or something but it was probably I think about 2 3 a.m that right. I went down there and they, they were really good they wheeled me down in bed because I think at that point I still couldn't actually walk or anything um and they just wheeled me down in the hospital bed and he was at that point he was in a room on his own he was just in one of the single rooms in the incubator and I just remember laying, I've got pictures of me laying on the bed, like laying on the bed and putting my hand in there and touching him. And it was quite like a, I don't, it was a really peaceful, real peaceful moment. Um, we had been, I think it must have been that week prior, we were given the option to actually go down into NICU when we were taken round NICU by a nurse. Yeah. Um, I think that it didn't become as confronting for the first time going down there and I would recommend that probably to if it, if people were comfortable with it and if it wasn't too confronting for people to go through with prior if they had enough notice mm. because I do think knowing the surroundings I think that's also why I was maybe felt okay about it even up in the um like delivery suite and everything as well I just knew where he was going yeah yeah having met the nurses like and the doctor. sensory overload like there's so many lights and noises yeah. and different yeah. smells and everything it is 
it is very overwhelming so to be able to yeah. and I think all of the yeah just like the whole the incubator and all of the tubes and the wires and everything I think yeah. if I hadn't known what to expect if I hadn't seen anything like that because I mean we've all seen it probably on tv and films and everything like that but I think until I was actually there and I understood you know for his gestate especially for his gestation you know where he might go to and what he might be like for a bit yeah then it did it made me feel more comfortable but um we didn't stay down there for long I mean I think that you know we couldn't do anything at mm. that point for him and we had an orderly that was just stood outside the door as well waiting to push me back up to the room so, like, so yeah, pretty we sure, right? you're like okay but yeah you just you don't I mean we didn't get obviously much sleep so you just slept on the chair we were really lucky because we were this was in December 2021 so it really was kind of like the height of like COVID uh, measures everywhere yeah. and it was at the point you know where part it was only partners that were actually allowed to come in and visit or do it it was real strict just like it was everywhere in the country I guess but he just slept on the chair and luckily nobody mm. said a thing um and I remember yeah we went back down the next morning and he'd been moved into uh room one um and at that point, I then remember going into him and he did have CPAP on. And I just remember looking at his wee little hand with the kind of the foam underneath it and then all the yeah. little uh, tubes and everything going into his hand. And I just remember thinking, yeah. And I just remember thinking, man, that must be so like painful. I know how like I had needles shoved in me so much for last over those five weeks and I just thought man that looks so sore and as we delicate yeah delicate skin just looked so sore but yeah it was it was kind of it really brought you back down to earth because the room that we were in was full he was the fourth baby to be added into that room turns out that next door to us was my friend Jamie and her son that had been born eight days prior so we were next door neighbors again yeah. which again was kind of like this is so it was like it was really weird it was such like a positive thing and you know we'd be like like we'd have like our own little giggles even though we were in this environment that you really felt like you needed to be Solomon but we had our own kind of relationship as well next door to each other but yeah. it did bring you back down to earth because Freddie was probably the oldest gestation there in that room at that time and definitely had the least complications of the other babies that were in there too mm -hmm. um and yeah as the week went on as the CPAP got removed I think it was that same it was that same day it was he was only on it for I think 12 hours or something um mm -hmm. And then it was kind of like almost day by day. He ended up, he he did have some jaundice. So he went on a billy blanket two days after he was born. Yeah. Um, and we were able to give him some colostrum virus syringe when he was probably about three, three days. Um, and then slowly kind of things started to get removed. And then we were able to dress him and put him into a normal cot 
into it like a cot that wasn't the incubator yeah and that was probably he was not even a week old then and I just remember thinking get me out of this room because the the overwhelming guilt it was just there were it it was, I just, it was all Stu and I talked about that we just, we felt, we felt bad. We felt bad being in that room when there was such unwell babies around us and the parents were going through hell. And it was almost kind of like we were stood there and we felt like we couldn't celebrate him. Mm. We didn't want to because it was kind of like we knew what others were going through. Yeah. And then in the end, luckily on the day that he did, get moved into the cot we did end up I would basically said I was like I'm assuming that we will move rooms and we did um but it just makes you realize we were lucky but at the same time how can I word it it's um, such a hard like juxtaposition right like yeah. you're so happy like I'm we were exactly the same our twins were 32 weekers and yeah. they were pretty much both had a bit of oxygen issue but for the most part, basically just feeders and growers, super lucky, short NICU stay. And at the same time, there were other 32 weekers in there that were horrifically unwell. And I was like, mm. I, I felt like I couldn't be happy for my situation and sad yeah. for their situation at the same time. But it shouldn't, yeah. like, no one's going to judge you, I think, if you're happy about your baby, you know? No. Yeah, no, de- definitely, definitely. And you do, and you get to know the parents of the other babies in the parent room or in the pumping room or wherever you might meet them most of the time in the pumping room when you're washing up (laughs) your stuff (laughs) or returning your pump or whatever that was the yeah that was one thing that um yeah I definitely had never prepared for um the pumping side of it definitely as uh another another level I think (laughs) I think that was probably the one the hardest that probably was one of the hardest things that I found I'd say probably yeah um yeah it was strange (laughs) how did you find the unit itself like you said so you were there for what three weeks he was home at 33 yeah we were there for three weeks quite a short stand Um, game of things but and, and it yeah and it was kind of it really was just kind of one of those um we kind of we moved rooms that after that first week and then during that second week we moved room we can't we just it was kind of like a staple we graduated from one room to the next to the next um and you kind of got to know people and then you'd move rooms and then um he really was just in a case of he just needed to establish feeding and growing really yeah. we were lucky there was no other health complications but I did find the the actual unit was a positive place the nurses were lovely and really really helpful um especially a couple of them really were great to try and establish the breastfeeding side of things um because he was he really was keen to try and latch on and uh do the has seemed to have a reasonable kind of sucking reflex so um the nurse some of the nurses were really really helpful in that so it was it was positive even the uh 
the room, the private room that then we went into when with Freddie that when I just remember sitting there and then they said, do you want to go into the room with Freddie tonight? This was a uh, day before New Year's Eve. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do you like to stay? And they said, yeah, we think that, yeah, we think that you're ready to go and stay in the room with him. I was like, oh, always just spring it on you. It's always, it yeah, seems like the last minute. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm thinking, I mean, I know it's like a second away in the corridor, but I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, so you want me to be, so I'm a fully, you want me to be a full parent? Sorry, I don't understand. I don't understand. So what do you mean? You're you, not going to come with me and do the night news? I was like, what do you mean? So you're not going to stand over me with the nappies, nothing? And I just remember phoning Stu and I was like, because we're obviously uh, farming over December and January for sheep and beef farmers, which we are, is the worst time of year <laughs> for him to be having to go back and forth. And luckily, we're really lucky. We've got really supportive family and his brother and his dad is on the farm and his mum and my sister-in-law. Yeah. So they could really handle everything. But I just felt so sorry for him. But I just remember phoning him and going, we're going into a room, so you've got to drive down now because I'm not staying in that room overnight on my own. I can't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, he drove, um, he drove over and then we just spent that first night in there and it was, I just remember thinking how surreal. Yeah. Surreal it was. It was so, so, like, it was so nice like, and just cosy in that yeah. little room. We had the TV and, um, yeah, it was just, it was a really cosy experience. And then, we, yeah, we spent New Year's Eve in in that little private room which was kind of like quite special as well at the same same time and we were obviously with it your own little new year's eve party just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> literally i think we got uber eats and <laughs> sat in there and we were meant <laughs> to go out for a meal we were going to go out for a meal with our um with my friend uh, uh who was in niku and we booked a table and everything and i just said sorry I can't go with you. We have, really to stay with our, we have to be parents now and stay with our child. <laughs> the audacity. Yes, I know. But yeah, but so the you, yeah, I, I did have positive. You have a really weird, um, and I try and explain it to Stu, but he doesn't get it up. He doesn't really understand. I don't think that you don't have a yearning to be back there. But it's just somewhere that you get so comfortable mm. in. Do you know what I mean? You get really so comfortable to the routine and you get comfortable to the surroundings and the environment. And for such a long time after, you know, that's the first place that you bring your child up. And for some people, it can be for months. And it is, it, it's like, yeah, I think because it is the first place that you are with your child, for a period of time it kind of has that kind of home place in your heart in a really weird way that's the only way I can describe it yeah yeah she no, thinks I I'm very strange to try and say that it was like a comforting place but we like we will drive past the hospital and I'll say to Bar and Luca like you you lived there when you for a whole month yeah. after you were born like you lived there that was your home yeah, so, you yeah. so I try and yeah I get I get what you mean it's like familiar and like you say, the routine, mm. nurses, you get to know like specific nurses and doctors and lactation consultants and who else. And it just, yeah, it become, it's such a huge part of your life while you're there. Obviously now we look Definitely. back, like, there was nothing. But when you're there, yeah. it's like your whole world. It, yes, exactly. Definitely. 
How how was it when you guys got to finally bring him home? That was really special. I mean, I hadn't, apart from one day when we were in Niku, we, I think it was the week after he was born, because obviously I wasn't allowed to come back to Lawrence. So until he was born, I hadn't been back to my home for, well, five weeks. Yeah. So then six weeks came around and even the nurses said, look, why don't you go home and have a breather? Because we were just staying in a, um, like a small kind of studio um, yeah. around the corner from the hospital in an apartment. And so I'd only been home once before we brought Freddie home. And it was kind of like sheer panic of when they said that we could take him home of, okay, so let me think. And quite an, anybody who knows me knows that I do like to be quite organized. Yeah. So I had some stuff at home, <laughs> but I, I had definitely hadn't got like a bassinet or no. hadn't got any, I hadn't got anything sorted like that. I mean, we didn't even have a capsule. We went to baby factory um, and then and we hired a capsule from there really I mean they said that they didn't have one and then we tried to explain our circumstances and then they were very helpful and they gave us one but mm. yeah I just remember us having to roll the towels up to try and make it yeah which yeah. I'm not sure would have been is that safe but it was the only way he was going to go in safely into the into the into the capsule I just remember sitting it was a really hot day it was second of January really hot day and I just remember even now I look at pictures and I think you must be being boiling because he was in his woolen stuff with a little blanket over the top of him and the truck and I just think man you would have been hot um and we got home and it was so strange I'd given my friend who had said that we could use a bassinet and different stuff some warning so she had come to the house and she'd at least dropped off somewhere that he could um rest in and sleep yeah, yeah. um and we did get given a peppy pod actually by Nikku so that was our backup um as well anyway um, and we just got home, but we didn't tell anybody that we were coming home. Yeah. Um, and he he just looked so, I remember how tiny he looked, even on the, we'd sat on the couch and I just laid him on the cushion. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe, it was so surreal him, him being there. It was absolutely crazy. And then we just sent a picture to like my, my Stu's mum and dad and my uh, sister and brother-in-law and they were actually on the farm, they were just at the house down the road and they just were like, what? And then nobody said anything and then all of a sudden all these cars started pulling up at our <laughs> house because they realised that we'd brought him up because nobody really knew. I mean, at that point he was still only 35 weeks. I think a lot of people assumed that we might, you know, people would assume that you don't bring your child home. Yeah, yeah. They're probably they're not meant to be born, but you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he was homecoming for you as well having been away for yeah so it did it felt it felt surreal especially like you know I hadn't slept in my own bed either for that point mm. it would have been it was like eight weeks that I hadn't yeah. slept there either um and it was just it was really strange the first night was fine was it fine no it wasn't fine I'm lying <laughs> the noises that were coming from him I we genuinely were not sure what was going on I think a lot of stuff I je definitely have blocked out because it just <laughs> I think the PTSD newborns are so noisy I like, was convinced we had a goat 
like so noisy. And when you're in Niku, you never hear that. For one, you're not there no. most of the time. And we two, so like confused. you don't. They're so noisy. Honestly, we, were so so we were just convinced that we had a goat. <laughs> that was the only way we could describe it. We haven't brought on hey, a human baby. <laughs> he just he literally was a goat. It was surreal. And I just I remember for those first couple of nights, I remember uh, oh I did. I actually had brought another um it was like a wooden wooden bassinet that had a it's a white, what are they called? Caribou? No, caribou. Like the um little white yeah white kind of really basket yeah we had we got one of those and then my friend had given us a wicker basket and then we had the peppy pod and we like it must be because he doesn't like the wicker basket bassinet that must be it we will swap we will put him in the caribou one this poor boy probably moved beds i'd say three times within this first probably 24 hours of being at home (laughs) we were like he just doesn't like to sleep in that. He's probably, he's used to being, we were just convinced he was used to being in a more enclosed yeah. car. The ones in NICU were a lot smaller, so we were moving him around. No, it must be because of lights. So we'll <laughs> leave the light on in the corridor so that then he can see that there's lights. No, okay, it must be the sound, right? So what we'll do is we'll put the radio on and we'll have the radio on in the background. And that will definitely keep quiet too. None of this, like none of it worked. We were like, and he just doesn't want to sleep. It just didn't make any you sense. say that. One of my friends that I was in Niku with, her baby was like in the last kind of spot right next to the um the sink where we had to wash our hands. Mm. And when they started rooming in, she just like, she just would not settle and nothing was helping. And GC, my friend, came the next day like back into Niku to get Amaya away and she was like, I had to turn the tap on because I realised she was so used to hearing the tap that she was right next to it that she wouldn't settle unless this freaking tap was on. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, we yeah we were just, we were convinced it was, it would, yeah, we were just convinced them, there must have been other things going on for why he wouldn't <laughs> have slept, but, and then I was like, maybe he's just not getting fed enough, maybe he's still hungry because he genuinely also wouldn't sleep either a a lot as well but then the midwife would come and and then we did have one visit from uh one of the NICU outreach people that came and he was putting on weight so it couldn't have been necessarily that he was too hungry but that was where the issue then came from the pumping Mm -hmm. and I never had a problem with my milk supply when I was pumping and I always kept I was so strict on the pumping kind of time and then they told me to basically stop pumping once he developed, you know, once he was able to fully breastfeed from me, which was why we were then discharged. Yeah. And then we got home and then it was almost like because he didn't have the kind of ability to get as much milk out of me as he maybe needed, and also I wasn't he wasn't needing as much milk as I was then producing when I was pumping yeah my milk supply then just kind of completely dropped out um basically and he was ending up then he was being he was hungry Mm. but I couldn't do anything about it so then I remember the midwife coming she said you know 
maybe you do just you try and feed him and then whatever he can get from you and then you put him on a bottle and I just remember just being absolutely devastated that she even suggested giving him a bottle because I thought how is that possible because my milk supply is amazing I've seen it I've just watched it come go into these little bottles for the last three weeks and what are you saying there's loads of milk in me but she said she like obviously it was just because it works obviously on this whole supply and demand and that's what had happened and then it's kind of in a lot in probably four or five days my supply just completely Mm. dropped so Mm. we went on a whole rigmarole of feeding him from me feeding him formula after feeding him formula I would then pump both sides to then stimulate my supply um and that ended up probably being a good like two hour two and a half hour like stint that we were doing um and we did maintain that say we because she was so helpful because he would maybe do sometimes the bottle and then yeah it does end up kind of being a teamwork situation um and in the end like for my mental health I just I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore I was I could not do the two and a half hour ring roll at night in the middle of the night it just It was so much to try and just do that. I just remember sitting there with the pump, nearly falling asleep because I'd been feeding him for 50 minutes and then bottle feeding him and then trying to pump. And it just was so much. And then on top of that, he had GERD, which we didn't get diagnosed until later. Um, So he was really, really hard to settle because Mm. he was basically in so much pain when after he'd been fed he would never bring the milk up which would normally happen with reflux it would literally just basically sit in his esophagus and just burn Mm. him so then we would spend another half an hour 45 minutes trying to settle him to go to sleep so for us even though we came back in the January and he got diagnosed with the GERD in the February, late February, we had to push a lot for, um, instead of just being told that it was colic many times yeah. um, by professionals, we had a real rough, like we had, it felt like we had such a positive outcome from NICU mm. and then it almost felt like what on earth is happening right now? You, do you know what I mean? You kind of think, oh, we discharged from NICU, everything's going to be fine and then... Yeah all of a sudden it was kind of like no way this cannot be what uh, parenthood's like no one else would ever have a child ever again if they were up for three hours every night and then getting an hour's sleep and then because he would then he was never drinking enough so then you'd be up for the three hours and then he'd only sleep for like an hour and a half yeah and then he'd be up again we were never getting that kind of newborn four hours of sleep or three hours of sleep or even two and a half hours sleep yeah. all the time so it took its toll <laughs> yeah for sure it's so hard and especially with you know you're still recovering from a c-section at that point like that's major surgery you're adapting to being a new parent you're adapting to being a new parent outside of NICU which is a whole other ball game yeah. it's bloody hard um but you managed to get the the reflux like under control so that he was a bit happier 
yeah, we did try, we tried like lots of different holistic players, did take him to like an osteopath and things like that. I can't say truth be told whether it did or whether it didn't yeah. work. I wouldn't know to this day. Um, but we did get to see a pediatrician and the pediatrician put him on a Meprazole. Uh, I know there's lots of controversial ideas of whether it's good, whether it's bad. I think long term, from me. what I have read, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, honestly, I he got put on a meprazole about a week before my birthday, which is the thirteenth of March, and like we took him out on my birthday up to Cromwell up to a winery, and up until then, we'd never taken him out anywhere because it just it was too hard. we just we yeah and I think I I was basically I was depressed mm. so I never wanted to really go anywhere and I just was confused about what was going on and it really mm. was like he was a different baby but going on a metrosol it really was he would feed and then he would sleep and then he would feed and then he would sleep and then he would play and there was none of these I, I mean, I need to delete them because I've got thousands of videos because I kept taking videos to try and show the doctors the pain that he was in. It was crazy. Mm. He would just hit the, oh, when you look back on it, and even all of our family members said he was so tense, like he was so stiff to hold. You couldn't like like rock. He wasn't this loose kind of baby. He was so stiff because I think his body was so tense from... Kind, kind of, of being in this discomfort yeah yeah so um but and I was just such an easy fix like to fix reflux oh. generally it's so easy but they drag it was it was it, so it, was, it I, I couldn't we I ended up going down like a very kind of I ended because I did try and kind of contact um Nikki but we didn't have that much luck to begin with mm. and then in the end I just ended up finding all the different email addresses that I could for pediatricians and all sorts and just sent them the videos that are taken of him and was like look this is what's going on with my child you cannot tell me that this is normal for yeah. a baby to look like that they're in this much this much pain and then that's when they ended up doing something so but he was only on it for I mean like he said the pediatrician said it most likely 99% is linked through the fact that he was premature mm. and it most likely is a very temporary thing that he does need support with and he was only on it for two months two and a half months yeah and then did not need anything like it ever again and it, so it just was that temporary fix that I think if we'd got seen and listened to a month before he wouldn't have been in that pain which yeah. is such a sad thing to think about but at yeah. least like I persevered I persevered and yeah. got it sorted hopefully and it's hard for you like you're like I say you're recovering and you're in this whole new world and you've got this baby that's like unwell and you can't do anything about it because no one will freaking help you I I just remember us thinking this just Stu always just said there's no way that people would have another baby if this is what it's like oh that's just what we kept thinking we were I mean we were just like this is our only child if this genuinely is what it is we were like we're never going through yeah this ever again I mean obviously you then the child gets a little bit older your memory goes and then you're fine (laughs) you're like I can do this again it's okay 
<laughs> we've been on those eight weeks in hospital and those three months. Yeah, no, you just you sleep. just forget. Oh. I'm like, oh well, there's nice food in Dunedin, so. <laughs> oh no, but remember how little they are. Yes, yes. I remember when I couldn't walk and I was like a sloth for a week or ten days. <laughs> You forget. It's only the good stuff you remember. I, I was like, remember when I used to have to try and pick things up with my toes because I couldn't bend down to get back up again. You even you forget labor and you're like, that wasn't that bad. I can do that again. Yeah. And then it comes around to it and you're like, I can't. I literally can't do this. Well, I'm glad that everything is going so well now and that you guys had such a positive, positive experience in NICU, even if after NICU wasn't quite so straightforward for you no you take the um what's the word swings and roundabouts but you yeah. take take what you good you can get in life don't you yeah absolutely all right thank you so much for sharing your story and for having a chat with me it was so lovely to talk to you no problem it's been nice to rehash everything out again <laughs> Sometimes. been going through it a little bit at the moment with I just went through it last week with my obstetrician for this pregnancy so yeah, it feels like it's quite fresh in my brain as well at the moment. So Yeah. So are they are they gonna do anything um with your current pregnancy to monitor like are they monitoring you more closely for a chance of another um, They're monitoring it. I mean it's it's like I said, it's difficult because found reason for why the abruption happened. It just yeah. happened. I think I was just hopefully I was just unlucky. Um they have put me on like this progesterone pessary. Yeah. Um, which I'd never heard of before. My midwife had never heard of before either. But um that's meant to try and prevent preterm labor. So yes, Good. we'll see how we go. On that. I hope you do get to term. It's so nice to experience a term pregnancy after a, a NICU pregnancy. A lot of it feels illegal, like just taking your baby home doesn't feel like you should yeah. be allowed to do that. I always say, what would we have done without Nikki? Like, I don't, Honestly, we learned so much. You get so trained much to be a parent. <laughs> there's so much stuff that we went through with Angus that I was like, I've never, like, we never did this with the, even the meconium, like the meconium pose. Mm. We never yes. had that with the twins. Yeah. Did it. And then Angus started doing it. I was like, the fuck am I meant to do with this? Yeah, ew, this is all black. What's going on? <laughs> oh, and I remember texting my midwife thinking that his belly button was all infected. And she was like, no, no, it's just how it's how it looks <laughs> I don't know yeah uh, yeah that's what I'm hoping I just I would like to be able to wear the maternity clothes that I bought the first time around <laughs> that would be great if I could and I only wore them the same like last time because it was the easiest thing to put on because of my c-section so, yeah yeah I'd like to be able to stretch those things out for you so yeah get your money's worth yeah definitely so yeah, that was Sophie's story with Freddie. Um, yeah, like we were saying, she had quite a straightforward NICU journey with him. She was quite lucky. Um, I suppose she was quite, she was very prepared for NICU, having been in, in hospital for so long before his birth, kind of just waiting for him to be born. Um, but yeah, obviously what they found more difficult was being home after NICU, which is very common you're in such a structured routine when you're in NICU and then all of a sudden you're at home and you've got this whole last baby to look after and you don't have someone telling you when to feed them or how much to feed them or when to change a nappy so 
to throw horrific, horrific reflux in the mix is, yeah, very unlucky. But like I said to her, hopefully she makes it to term with baby number two. Um, very exciting for them. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode and we will chat again soon. Bye.